Uh, let me just remind us uh, what we covered last week. So we're going to go through this Old Testament book. Habakkuk is a prophet. We introduced um, him to us last week and we found out that he is um, he's unhappy. He finds himself in a situation where injustice is rising around him. He's seeing evil around him, people engaging in sin. Remember, Habakkuk has seen God's people, Israel, experience revival, the closeness of the presence of God in the midst of the people and people seeing God for who he is and confessing, repenting of their sins and coming towards him in worship. And then uh, with a, a change of regime with the leaders in Israel, things took a serious decline. And Habakkuk finds himself at a time where there is a bad king who has led the people astray. There is rampant idolatry around them. And Habakkuk cries out, how long, O Lord? How long are you going to let this continue? He knows that God is a God of justice, that God is a holy God, that God hates everything that is going on around. And yet it seems like he's doing nothing. And Habakkuk cries out, how long? It seems like he's prayed this prayer a number of times and yet he hears nothing. We find Habakkuk sitting in the silence. And the prayer that he brings to God is raw and honest. We saw that last week. And the encouragement last week was that actually we can do the same. We can take so many life lessons from Habakkuk in terms of how we can approach God. God doesn't want us to come all dressed up and just pretending that everything's okay. He knows that we're not. We all know that we're not. So let's just come to God as we are. And Habakkuk does that. He holds nothing back. He comes with an honest prayer to God. But in amongst all that, he is holding on to the faithfulness of God. We saw that he, he knows the character of God to be good and loving and faithful. He is a covenant God. And Habakkuk holds on to the truth of who God is in the midst of a cry that he is not hearing a response from. But yet he trusts God. This week we're going to hear that God answers Habakkuk's prayer. I'm going to read for us Habakkuk chapter 1, starting in verse 5. We hear Habakkuk's complaint and then the Lord's answer. Look among the nations and see, this is the Lord God speaking, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Remember, that's the, the Babylonians. They're about to be, God's people are about to be taken into exile by Babylon. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand, at kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. There is a lot going on in those few verses. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend two weeks on God's response. Next week, we're going to dive into the detail, just really see what it is that God is saying to Habakkuk. Really just uh, sit in the text and understand what is going on in the context that we're in. But this week, I just want to take a step back and almost just 
see what God is saying, but, but just stay up here. Have a bit of a bird's eye view and just see some um, small but profound things in just the reality that God answers. So for those of you who like us to exegete the text and really get to grips with it, we'll get there next week. Don't fall off your chair that we're not going to be there this week. We'll touch it, but we'll touch it lightly. And we're going to go to some other parts of God's word. But I don't want, want us to miss some really significant things here. Just the idea, the concept that someone comes to God, cries out to him. And as Ryan has reminded us that this holy, infinite, majestic God hears us. So just look down at it and just see if you've got an ESV Bible. And it's the same in the NIV as well. The, the few words above verse five, the Lord's answer. Don't miss how profound that is. The Lord's answer. Remember how Habakkuk has come to God. He is raw. He is honest. He is holding nothing back. And we said last week, he is almost accusatory as he comes to God. He's asking difficult questions of God. God, where are you? What are you doing? You know that this is evil. You know there's injustice going on. Why are you sitting and doing nothing? He points his finger at God and God answers him. And maybe we might think, well, Habakkuk's a prophet. He's he's got some sort of hotline to God. So, of course, God's going to answer him. That's why he's in the Bible, because Habakkuk is is this special kind of guy. But but I want to say he's the same as all of us in here. He has the title of a prophet. And yes, he is a righteous man, but he is human. And because he is human, he is just like you and I. As a human, he he struggles with sin. As a human, he gets things wrong. As a human, he has has doubts and he has fears and he has all the things that we experience. He is not righteous in every way. Only Jesus can hold his hand up and say that. God answers him. A sinful man. Someone who struggles, no doubt, with the same things that we struggle with. But I want us to really just get to grips with this and hear this. That is what God does. He hears the cries of sinners. As sinners, we are able to come to God and cry out to him and be raw and honest and know that he will respond. And that should astonish us. Given what we know about God and given what we know about ourselves, that should astonish us. And we need just to, just to park just a bit of a, a cultural expectancy that we have because we live in a world of immediacy where we expect that, that when we ask for something, we will get it. So Elizabeth and I went to McDonald's yesterday on the way home from Johnny's wedding and Elizabeth queued for five minutes and after five minutes, she was fed up. And she went to the manager and said, I'm sorry, but how long is this gonna be? True story. And there was a, a few other people who've been waiting for 20 minutes in McDonald's. This is just it's a fast food restaurant. And so we, Elizabeth got a refund and we went somewhere else. Like, that's kind of insane, but it's fast food. So we expect something a little bit quicker than where it came. But that is just a little picture of what we live like. Like, we want something and we want it now, don't we? We live in a culture of immediacy and we are able to demand what we want when we want it. And if we don't get it, you can look up on TripAdvisor because we'll give a bad review for it. But we should not treat God like that. None of us are entitled to anything from God. We are talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords here, the creator of the heavens and the earth. The verses that Ryan opened for us this morning from Psalm 8 kind of help us to see that King David got this. Maybe you could just flick, flick back to it and we'll just uh, have a quick look at it again. Psalm uh, uh, chapter 8. 
I won't read it all, but I just want to just reference a few things that David sees here. He sees God as majestic. He sees that his, his name is a name that kind of covers the earth. He sees the glory of God above the heavens. He sees that it is God that gives life to babies and infants. It's, it's when he looks up to the heavens, he sees that is God's work. When he looks up to the moon and the stars, he sees that God has set them in place. And then King David sees himself rightly in, in, in amongst all of this majesty around him. He says this, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for? And just think of, of how little David knew about creation and the universe compared to what we know about now. And yet David sees himself so small. I love going here. You guys know I'm a bit of a, a star and a, a, just a, a space buff. And I think I've recruited a few people during COVID, a few stargazers. But, but I think all of us have a sense of our smallness when we look up to the sky, don't we? On those clear nights where you can see just a myriad of stars. And then when you get a bit geekish and you look on the internet and you see how many stars there are and how many galaxies there are. And listen, a few weeks ago, NASA managed to fly a drone on Mars. And I'm just, I'm looking at it and think that that is incredible. And everyone's just getting so excited about this drone flying on Mars. And God's probably sitting there like, and? I made all of this. Mars? What's Mars? Like I'm sitting above all of this. God is majestic. He is high. He's above it all. He creates everything and holds everything in existence. And David just sees a fraction of what we see and it blows his mind. And he's like, God, what am I? What, what kind of God are you who thinks of me? In amongst the majesty of the heavens and the earth. Folks, there is a God and he is out there. And he is infinite and he is awesome. But he is also personal. He knows you. Like he really knows you. Um, any um, Bake Off fans in here? Yeah, Elizabeth's hands straight up there. There's a few of us. Pre-Leith. We were like a bit of Pre-Leith. Last year, Elizabeth, um, had, she tweeted or what do you call it on Instagram? Shared something on Instagram. Some sort of photo with Pre-Leith involved. Anyway, Pre-Leith messaged Elizabeth back. Personal message from, from the Queen of Baking, Prue Leith. And Elizabeth, well, we were all so excited. Prue Leith had contacted Elizabeth, this woman who, who we revere, who's a bit of a celebrity, sent Elizabeth a personal message. And actually, when we get some, some, some kind of recognition of someone who's, who's famous, a celebrity, or someone who we really honor and revere, we feel a sense of, wow, this is, this is cool, this is nice. God knows you. And he doesn't just know your face on Instagram. He, he actually knows you. He knows the hairs on your head or the lack of hairs on your head. He knows your fears. He knows your hopes. He knows your dreams. He knows your secret sins. He knows your anxieties. And listen, he's not intimidated by any of it. He's not looking at you and thinking, ah, I'm going to keep my distance from that one, I think. Too much going on in that life. Too much saying going on there. Now he knows you. And if you are his daughter or his son, he loves you. He delights in you. Oh, just, just let that sink in for a minute. This God, this awesome God, knows you better than you know yourself and he loves you. Guys, that should blow our minds. 
Maybe that isn't new for you. Maybe you know that already and this is uh, not new news to you. Maybe you know that God knows you and hears you when you cry out. But maybe the struggle that you've got is that when you come to this God and you you know he's infinite, you know he's awesome, and you know you can cry out to him, when you come to him, he never answers yes. Like he will come to him with the bold, raw, honest prayers, but he never answers yes to you. Well, I wanted to show us that actually probably answers yes more often than you think. Two reasons why. Firstly, because... Sometimes it's not immediately obvious to us how he's answered us. I think he does answer yes a lot of the times, but it's not immediately, immediately clear that he has answered that prayer. Now, sometimes there are times when we cry out to God, when we ask of him, and straight away we're like, God's answered it. God's, God's done a work there. That could only have been God. And guys, we've seen that in the life of this church many times. I remember when the cop animals were moving over here and we fasted and prayed for a certain house and God provided it, like immediately provided it. And we were, we were just in awe of God because it would only have been him that could have done that. We've come and cried out to God for healing in, the, in, the, in amongst our body and God has healed. We've asked for provision, precise amounts of money that we need to do certain things and God in an instant has just given it to us. There are times when it's really clear that God has given us what we have asked of him. Clear grace coming from God, but there are also times where the way that He provides is is via another means, what we might call common grace. But it's not immediately obvious that that is the hand of God directly giving to us. So let me give us an example of common grace. Last Sunday, before the service started, we always pray before, just praying that God would do a work amongst us. And Elizabeth's back was was all over the place. He's been in, in agony for the last couple of weeks. Something's not quite right with her back. And we prayed for Elizabeth and we asked that God would heal. We asked that God would just take away this pain that he would heal. We prayed in confidence. We laid hands on Elizabeth. And I know many of you have been praying this week. Straight after the service, Elizabeth went downstairs. Ella was here and she had a bit of a free consultation with Ella off the books. Ella gave her some advice. Uh, we heeded Ella's advice. We went home. It got, it got significantly worse when we were home, so we rang 111. And the doctors on 111 gave Elizabeth some advice and told her what to do. We ended up in Aintree Hospital on Sunday afternoon. Elizabeth went in, got checked in by a triage nurse who gave a little bit of a diagnosis. Then she eventually went through, saw a consultant, a registrar. They gave their opinion on it, uh, prescribed some drugs. We came home. We got those drugs, a massive heavy bag. I went to the, the pharmacy. I don't know what was in there, but it was really heavy with a lot of stuff in there. We got it. Elizabeth took the drugs. She's spoken to a GP this week. She's spoken to a pharmacy this week and by the grace of God she's not quite there but she is miles better this week aren't you like miles better keep praying because it's not something's still not right there now what's happened there we pray to God we ask for healing God didn't kind of bring down this this mysterious cloud and in an instant Elizabeth healed and we heard this booming voice from heaven has he healed her yeah he has by ordinary means by common grace. The NHS is a gift from God, folks. It is. It is a gift from God. Being able to walk into a pharmacy and demand a heavy bag of, of pills that I've got no idea what they are, and, and they pass them over the counter to me for pennies, that is a gift from God. Being able to speak to a sister in Christ who gives honest, honest um, um, feedback on, on pain, that is a gift from God. Being able to speak to a GP, a pharmacist, they are all gifts from God, and God has used common means to heal my wife. Sometimes we don't see how God answers our prayer because he uses common means. 
but he is answering our prayers. Another reason why maybe we don't often see God saying yes is because we just don't like what he gives us. Isn't that true? We demand from God, come on God, we need this, we want this, and God gives you something and you're like, well, hang on a minute, that, that isn't quite what I had in mind. I remember a few years ago, along, uh, 12 years ago, uh, our marriage is a reference point. A few months before we got married, I was diagnosed with a, a, a quite a significant kidney uh, disease and it came from nowhere. And we were just ramping up to get married, excited about getting married. And it was, it was quite debilitating. I put on a load of weight. I was on a high uh, dosage of steroids and some, um, some other, I've got no idea what drugs I was taking, but they were big and they were um, dangerous apparently. I was taking all these drugs at a time when I was meant to be preparing to get married. And I remember sitting in the clinic, at a, I was in hospital, hospital for two weeks, clinic every week getting bloods and different tests. And as I sat in the clinic, I realized I was the youngest person in there by literally about 60 years. It was like a geriatric ward. And whatever I had contracted or whatever it was, whatever disease I had, young people just don't get it. I remember sitting there thinking, come on, God. Like, what, what are you doing? Like, this, just, I meant, this is meant to be like a pivotal moment in my life. I'm meant to be in, in you know, I'm, I'm a young man, meant to be in the prime of health. And I'm sitting here with old people who in a few years are probably going to not be here anymore. Like, what, what am I doing here? And for months I battled with, okay, God, what are you up to? And I was able to look back through the years and actually see how he used that experience to, for me to share the gospel with my consultants on numerous occasions where I told them, you can keep giving me this stuff, that's fine, but God's going to heal me. And eventually he did. Miraculously healed me of it and it went. I remember praying kind of in preparation for our marriage. You know, I want to be fit. I want to be healthy. I want to be able to provide for my wife and just be able to focus on this. I remember praying that and then God gave me this disease, the last thing that I needed. But God was using it to strengthen our marriage, to strengthen my dependence on him. And actually, I'm so much more healthy spiritually because of that situation now. And so many more people heard the gospel because of that situation. He answered my prayer. He was preparing me for marriage. He was bringing a health in me, but not the kind of health that I was asking him for. I was after physical health. I wanted to be able to be strong for this marriage. But God said, no, what you need is to be spiritually healthy. I want to build your faith. I want to convince you that I am better, that my purposes are better. Quite often we ask of God and we just don't like what we get. We're going to see in a minute, everything he gives to his children is good. Everything. He's a good father and he only gives his children good gifts. God does answer yes more than we realize. But what happens when his answer is no? And we cry out to God and we say, God, we need this. And he comes back and he says, no. Let me give you two reasons why I think he does that sometimes and then a bit of a disclaimer at the end. So hear me out. And if you've got questions I'm going through, just hold that because I'm going to answer them in a minute. Here's the first reason why I think God sometimes says no when we cry out. Because we're sinners. There are things that we do in our lives that throw up a wall between us and God that means he will not hear our prayers. He just won't, won't listen. Psalm 66. You, you can turn there or just listen to me as I read a few verses from here. 
Psalm 66, verses 16 to 18 says this. Come and hear all you who fear God. Now he's talking to God's people here. And I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cry to him. Here's another guy crying out to God. I cried to him with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now, when, when the psalmist is talking about cherish there, he's talking about um, literally a, 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 an enjoyment of iniquity, iniquity being sins that we engage in. He's talking about an unrepentant heart. We see Paul use a similar word in Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Paul talks about making provision for the flesh, making provision for sin. So he's talking about literally, we see something that we know isn't right for us. We see sin. We know it isn't right for us and we run towards it and take hold of it. That's what the psalmist is talking about. That's what David uh, uh, Paul is talking about in Romans, making provision for God, uh, for sin, taking hold of something which we know that we should not have. Both the psalmist and Paul will say this. If you do that, don't expect God to hear your prayers. In fact, sometimes God, God will close his ears to your prayers in order to open your eyes to the sin that you are walking in. And he is talking to believers here. So I want to encourage us. We want God to hear our prayers, right? We want him to answer our prayers. So so we need to commit to a habit of regular confession and repentance. We need to pray the prayer that David prays in Psalm 139. God, search my heart. Reveal the, the areas of wickedness. Search my heart. Confess and repent to God. Do not cherish sin, guys. Do not run towards sin and take hold of it because if you do, you run the risk of shutting the ears of God to your prayers. Sometimes God will not answer our prayers because we are sinners. Sometimes he won't answer our prayers or he'll say no to our prayers because he loves us. We'll come and ask of God and he'll say, no son, no daughter, that's not what you need. We see this beautifully in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. I'll just read this to us. Jesus says this, the famous words, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is saying to his disciples, you've got fathers around you. Some of you have got good fathers here. But I'm going to act as a better father for you. And you come just like you would to your daddies. You come and you ask me of what you need. Come and ask me. And I will always give you. I will give you what is good. Sometimes when you come and you ask, I'll say no. Because I love you. One of the best illustrations for this is um, Willy Wonka's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Veruca Salt, anyone? Yeah? If you haven't seen it, um, watch, the, watch the first one, not the latest one. That's just weird. 
Um, the first Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, there's this character, Veruca Salt, and she is the epitome of a brat child. We've all seen them, those kids who just demand of their parents, and she just, she goes to her dad, her dad's a wealthy business, business owner, and he's got all the money in the world, and she just asks what she wants off her dad, and her dad says, okay, you can have it. And they're touring the, the chocolate factory, and all the kids are kind of sussing out different things, and she sees this golden goose, and she wants one. And so she says to her daddy, I want one. I want a golden goose. And so uh, dad's like, come on, Mr. Wonka, give her, give her what she wants. Give her what she wants. And this goes on and eventually she gets hold of this golden goose. And what happens to it? Anyone remember? She kind of falls down this infinite chute into somewhere. She's okay in the end. Um, but, but she gets hold of what she wants and it's the last thing that she needs. We should know that loving fathers never reward disobedience. And loving fathers will never give us what is bad for us. That's true with our father. It's even more true with our father because he really knows what we need. The key to contentment in prayer, folks, the key to contentment in being able to cry out to God and trust him with whatever he gives us or whatever he doesn't give us is to learn the difference between our wants and our needs. Because we can come to God and say so many things that we want. God, we want this, we want this, we want this. But are they actually things that we need? Veruca Salt didn't need a golden goose or a squirrel in in the new version. She didn't need those things. She just wanted them. What are the things that we really need? What are the things, and frame it in, in the great mission and vision that we have as Christians. What are the things that we need to be who God has called us to be and to do the things that God has called us to do? Cry out to God for everything, for your wants and your needs, but really expect God to give us what we need and hold lightly to the things that we want. See, Habakkuk, back in our passage, knows. He knows that there is a great need for God to deal with evil. And so he comes and he cries out to God and he sees that God answers that prayer, but answers it in a way that Habakkuk didn't really expect him to. He answers, but in a way that didn't really line up with Habakkuk's expectations. Folks, we can press into God for the things that we need, trusting that he will never give us his children, the snake or the stone. He will always give us what is good. Always. Okay, here's the disclaimer. God answers no sometimes because we're sinners and because he loves us. But that does not mean that God will not listen to us if we sin. If that was true, then that's a problem for us all. Because not one of us has walked in here this morning free from engaging in sin this week. I want to show us just one verse that really helps us with this. It's on your service sheets, actually. John chapter 9. Verse 31, this is the, um, the story of um, Jesus healing a man who's been blind from birth. And this guy, within minutes, becomes a bit of a pastor and a preacher. He's trying to convince the religious leaders that Jesus is the Son of God. And he says this, we know that God does not listen to sinners. Now, if we stop there, that's bad news, isn't it? Because we are sinners. But then he goes on to say this, but. But if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. I say this so often, but is one of the most beautiful words in the Bible. That word but just bridges between darkness and light, death and life. If it is the case that God doesn't listen to sinners, guys, we have no hope. But if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. 
Now, there was a time when it was the case that that sinners didn't have the intimacy and the ability to come to God and to cry out to him like we do today. In the Old Testament, you see that when God's people sinned, it threw up a wall between them and God. They had to go to the temple. They had to buy an animal, have it sacrificed and come and, and, and come in an act of confession, repentance, getting forgiveness from God. And then they could come and approach God and ask from him. But praise God, the cross changes all of that. What does the writer of the Hebrews say? That we can now boldly approach God's throne of grace with what? With confidence so that we receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Because of the work of the cross, because of Jesus' shed blood, the, the dividing wall of hostility between us and God, the thing that separates us from God, our sin, our rebellion has been removed, has been broken down. And so that Jesus has made a once and for all sacrifice. We don't need to keep coming to the temple and cleansing ourselves from our sins. Jesus has done that for us once and for all at the cross. And it's not like we need to just kind of make ourselves good enough to, to, to bend the ear of God towards us. God isn't that type of father. I am that type of father. Like I will listen more intently to my kids when they are, when they are good. Like they have been helping around this morning, setting some of the stuff up. And we were walking back from the car and I was like, kids, you've been wonderful this morning. You've been really helpful. Now contrast that with this time yesterday morning when they were the exact opposite. And did I want to encourage them and bless them and listen to them and play with them? Not a chance. Like they were driving us up the wall. But God is not like that. There's no amount of good that we can do that will bend his ear and say, yes, I'm listening now, child. You've got me. That isn't how grace works. That isn't how God works. The cross has brought down the dividing wall of hostility, which means we can just come right in as we are with all of our baggage, with all of our struggles, with all of the sin that we have contended with this week, Jesus says, come in. The door's open, come in. It's wide open. Come into my Father's house and, and ask him. Tell him what you need. We've got friends and family over in Northern Ireland, some who live in Belfast. If you've ever been to Belfast, you'll have seen the Peace Wall. You know what I'm talking about? It's a wall that goes through central Belfast that separates predominantly uh, Catholic communities from predominantly Protestant communities. And it's been in the news quite a bit this week, just um, some hostility across the walls. The ironic thing is everyone calls this a peace wall. It's not a peace wall. What's going to happen if they take that wall down? Hostility. Like they're going to be at each other. They don't like each other. There's anger and, and, and bitterness against each other. And if that wall comes down, they're just going to go for each other. That isn't what happens when Jesus dies on the cross. God should be angry with us. He should be hostile towards us. But all of the hostility, all of the anger, all of the judgment and the wrath that should be coming full force towards us as, God, as Jesus brings down that wall, it is absorbed by Jesus on the cross. And so when the dividing wall of hostility comes down, what comes towards us is peace. You get a little bit of a picture of this. 1989, when the Berlin Wall came down. Now that gets us a little bit closer to what happens at the cross. They were desperate to be with each other. West Germany, East Germany, been separated for so long. Families been separated. Friends been separated. Kindred been separated. They wanted to be together. And as soon as the wall began to crumble, they just went towards each other and they built their relationship and they flourished together. That is what happens at the cross. No more hostility, no more judgments, no more wrath, no more punishment. It was all swallowed up by Jesus at the cross. 
when we are saved, our sins are forgiven. We are given new hearts. We are given new natures. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. We have been made acceptable before God. And just like children of a good father, we can walk boldly into his presence and share with him whatever it is that we need, knowing that he will answer us. The Apostle Paul said, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Let me just give us a final disclaimer. We cannot assume the goodness of God. We cannot assume his grace and his mercy. And and ultimately, we cannot assume his salvation unless we have received forgiveness, unless he has given us a new heart, unless you are in Christ. That is your greatest need. That is the first thing that you need to come and ask of God. If you are not in Christ, you need to ask him for faith to believe that you are a sinner and he is the only one that, he, that can save you and ask him for forgiveness. And let me tell you, that is, that is one prayer that he will never say no to. The prayer of faith. If you ask him for faith to believe that he is who he says he is and that you are a sinner in need of salvation and you ask him to help you believe he will never say no to that. But if you are in Christ, God hears and he responds. And because that is true, we can come to him in prayer. And so I want us to do that now before we share this meal together. Let's just take a few minutes. Let's just close our eyes and come before God in prayer. The God of the universe hears your prayers. So what is it that you want to say to him this morning? He can hear you. He knows you. What is it that you need? What is it that you want him to do in your life this morning? What is it that you're struggling with? What are you struggling to believe, to hold on to? Are you ill? Do you need him to bring healing? Are you feeling lonely? Are you feeling the reality of brokenness in relationships around you? What is it that you need to ask? The God of the universe hears you and will answer you. And if you're doing great, if you're walking well with the Lord, then maybe this is just a time to praise him and give him thanks for that. So, Father, for all of the mercies that you are pouring out on us in this moment, in this time, in this place, we want to give you thanks. And you know us, God, better than we know ourselves. And so we come and we cry out and we ask, but we ask this, give us what we need and nothing more. 
And help us to trust that what you give is going to be good. Where there is sin, where we are taking hold of it, walking towards it, embracing it, lead us in this moment towards confession and repentance. Help us to see, Father, your your character as a good father. Flawless in every way. A father who loves his children. Help us to trust you, we pray. In Jesus' name.